The Eastern Conference Finals get off to an epic start as the <clears throat> Panthers and the Hurricanes go to four overtimes to settle game one. We've got that and a look ahead to the Western Conference Final and our Women's Hockey Spotlight all on today's Locked On NHL podcast. Your Locked On NHL, your daily podcast on the National Hockey League. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome, everybody, to the Friday edition of the Locked On NHL Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. want to thank everyone for making Locked On NHL your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Don't forget to subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get the newest episodes as they drop. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash LockedOnNHL. And when you enter promo code LockedOnNHL, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti-style tumbler with every order. Well, as always, on Friday, Rachel Donner is my co-host. You can find her at, at on Twitter, at rmiriam. I'm Gil Martin. You can find me at IceWarsNYRVSNYI. Rachel, have you recovered from game one yet? Because I don't know how these players are going to recover. Listen, I've got extra coffee going. Uh, what an unbelievable start to that Eastern Conference series. I, I It just delivered in every way possible, except for maybe getting us some sleep. <laughs> unbelievable game. And, you know, it, it literally is the sixth longest overtime game in the history of the National Hockey League. These guys played two full games and almost an entire period more uh, all in one night. And you just, as the game went on, you saw how tired these guys were getting. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's all kind of blending together a little bit, but I would say that second and third overtime <laughs> were very slow. <laughs> Like yeah, the, the pace the struggle was real. Slowed down. You know, the, no, the game was not being broadcast in slow motion. It was just uh, it, it was just these guys were exhausted. And, you know, you knew after a while you, you got the feeling that it would be a mistake that somebody made because they were so tired that would lead to the goal. But that wasn't exactly how it ended up happening. Well, at least it wasn't a goaltending mistake because. Right. Both of those goaltenders, uh, Sergei Bobrovsky, especially uh, incredible performances in this game and just enduring through uh, what had to be a pretty difficult situation. Yeah, 63 saves by Sergei Bobrovsky in this game. And, you know, that's just pretty uh, incredible. And to to think, you know, he's going to have to go out and do it again in another day, you know, one day off and then right back at it. That, that is going to be grueling. I wonder how the coaches handle that situation. Both of these teams have very good, you know, backup goalies. How much do you think this will affect the two goaltenders going ahead to game two? 
I mean, there's certainly going to be a lot of uh, physical therapy intervention <laughs> going on here. But I mean, you can't pull either one of them no. in this situation. You just can't. And and you have to, you know, put it on the skaters to do some extra work to support their their goaltenders here. Uh, I think like, oh, what a marathon. Um, I just can't help thinking about Ryan Lomberg, though. Yeah. In, in that goal that was uh, called off due to goalie interference. So what was your take on that decision? Yeah, that was close. That was a tough one. And, you know, you, you I feel even more for Lomberg because, you know, he, he didn't get a heck of a lot of ice time. That's, you know, not his role. He only played 18 minutes and 46 seconds in this game. And for him to have a chance to end it would have been so uh, meaningful, you know, yeah. to him especially. And obviously, uh, they call that back. Did you think it should have been disallowed, or, or what was your take? It was very, very close to me. I think it really could have gone either way. The broadcast seemed to think it was a slam dunk as interference, but I just felt there was uh, there was too much going on with the players in front of the net, and right. you could have made the argument that the goalie caused some of it. I think just to a, a certain degree. So, yeah, I mean, I can't really argue with it because again, it could have gone either way, but it was, it was definitely close, but it would have saved us a lot of sleep. <laughs> and, and then you look at some of these numbers like Radko Gudis, 12 hits in the hockey game. Uh, and, you know, so many face-offs taken in this game. I, Alexander Barkov took 55 face-offs in game one of the Eastern Conference Final, winning 30 and losing 25. Yeah, that, uh, that's got to be tough on you physically as well, because like face-offs are, are a real grind. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was looking at the stats. First off, the stat charts, because there's so many extra periods, are just massive. Yeah. But uh, it, it was interesting because the Florida Panthers had one more high danger chance for uh, they, they let in that stat 27 to 26 and that's all it took, right? Yep. That and one that extra one shot was the difference. And, and how about this stat? Uh, I'm looking Brent Burns played 54 minutes and 43 seconds. That's almost a complete game by himself. He had five hits and 10 blocked shots. In God bless that years. old man. Yeah, God 38 bless years him. old and, and doing <laughs> all of that. That That is insane. Ten block shots. I, I can't even imagine the, the black and blue marks that he's going to have on his body after that. And his team ends up losing game one. Uh, so uh, I can't imagine. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, my Flyers were involved in that five overtime. I remember game. watching that one. And so, yeah, I was absolutely on the edge of my seat watching that one as well. And I famously told the story of my brother who attended the game and left uh, in this second overtime period. But uh, I think that it's uh, it's so disheartening to be on the losing side. And it really just establishes almost uh, a mandate to go ahead and win this series in a lot of ways when you win a, a marathon game like this. But I, I think given that it was game one and not yes. like somewhere middle in, 
in the middle of this series. I feel like, you know, Carolina with all of that skill um, is going to be able to come back from this, but I, I just find it so challenging for them given that these are their home games. Right. And so they had to deal with that in game one and lose and then being exhausted for game two at home. Um, they're really going to have to put forth an extra effort on the road in games three and four to to really get, get this one back. And, and the other thing is now game two almost becomes a must win because they don't want to go down to Florida down to nothing. And one of them being that marathon loss. So game two, you know, we, we talk about physically needing and mentally needing to bounce back after the marathon game. I think it's more critical for Carolina because, you know, the, the underdog in any series, you want to split those first two on the road. Well, as far as Florida is concerned, that's mission accomplished. If they win game two, they're in the driver's seat. Yeah. And you have to think though, that, you know, Matthew Kachuk getting that goal to end it almost seems poetic in a lot of ways, you know, as a team leader and, and he's going to do everything in his power to prevent that from happening again, as well as, you know, pushing Florida on in the series. And it just feels like there's something special happening with that team, given everything and the series they've had so far. And then having this game, um, you, you know, I, I've, feels almost inevitable in some ways. But again, I would not count this Carolina Hurricanes team out. They are such a tough team to play against. And this series is far from over, but it'll be tough to match the drama of game one uh, that we saw because, wow, uh, four full overtimes minus, what, 13 seconds. So uh, (laughs) what a night to get the conference finals started for the National Hockey League. Well, we have got a lot more to discuss on today's show. We have Erica Ayala stopping by for our Women's Hockey Spotlight. And, of course, we have the Western Conference to discuss as well. We've got all that and a lot more still to come on this episode of the Locked On NHL Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Attention active individuals, are you tired of sacrificing comfort for style when it comes to your active wear? Well, Bird Dogs is the game changer in athletic shorts. Picture this, premium shorts designed for maximum performance combined with unparalleled comfort. Bird Dogs are here to revolutionize your workout routine. With their unique built-in liner, these shorts offer the ultimate support and flexibility, ensuring you stay comfortable during even the most intense workouts. And here's the best part. Bird dogs are more than just workout gear. They're versatile enough for you to take from the gym to the street without skipping a beat. Bird dogs are made with premium, breathable fabric that keeps you cool and dry throughout your activities, whether you're on the trail, at the gym, or simply lounging around. Order your pair of bird dogs today. Just go to birddogs.com slash locked on NHL and to promo code locked on NHL, you'll get a free custom bird dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. Bird dogs where style meets comfort and performance meets perfection. Get yours now and unleash your true potential. And now it's time for our women's hockey spotlight with Erica Ayala. And welcome back to the Friday edition of the Locked On NHL podcast. And right now, we are happy to welcome back 
our bi-weekly host of our Women's Hockey Spotlight, Erica Ayala. And uh, Erica, busy time in women's hockey right now, even though it is the off-season. Well, that's when the all the business happens, Gil, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yes, we're in free agency in the Premier Hockey Federation and still waiting for official word from the PWHPA as far as what the fall will look like for them. But we have lots of player movement. Uh, we are still awaiting some head coaches for uh, two of the teams in the PHF. So, yes, lots of news, lots of rumors. Uh, it's all happening. Yeah, I, I want to talk first off of what I think, in my opinion, is the biggest news. Nora Ratu signing with the Metropolitan Riveters. Of course, this legendary Finnish goaltender, been in world championships, Olympic Games, and uh, had previously been with the PWHPA, but has signed with the Metropolitan Riveters. What's your take on this? Well, I have a few things. One is it's it's huge, as you said. It has been, I mean, such a great goaltender in women's hockey, whether you're talking about in the WCHA in college, playing for Team Finland, as you mentioned, Rachel, uh, playing in the CWHL, and then it, being one of the ambassadors when the Chinese national team brought two teams that then went down to one team to the CWHL. And then also she's coming out of retirement and had a really gnarly, and I believe we talked about this on Locked on NHL, but had a really uh, bad contract divorce is the term we hear these days with uh, Team Finland. Finland, yeah. which was rumored to be due to some discrepancies with the coaching staff. So Nora Ratu, huge. And also she gave an interview with, I believe, what was a Finnish outlet saying that she, as you mentioned, Rachel, involved with the PWHPA, was on the board, saw what the proposal was there and opted to get a bag, as they say, knowing that her career is, you know, coming to a close. And how much at this point in her career can she help New York? Well, that's the question. And it's not just Nora Ratu. It's also Casey Bellamy has signed a big contract, 120K plus a 7K signing bonus, which on my women's hockey podcast locked, uh, or excuse me, as part of um, the uh, Black Rosie Media Founding Four podcast, we talked about this, that a 7K signing bonus used to be a competitive salary in this league so that's just how much influx is coming in but to your point Gil it's a little bit of a balancing act right now in women's hockey in this wild west of free agency those are big names big draws and what have you done for me lately you know Janet Jackson just had a birthday a few days ago (laughs) throwing that out there what have you done for me lately we don't know when it comes to Nora Ratu and when it comes to Casey Bellamy so I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So I, I think the other big team for me that's made a splash this offseason so far is Montreal. And so I'm curious what you think about the new signings they've had and the returning vets and so many names. They are like well into their free agency process right now. Certainly are. And I think the big signing there is the poaching 
of the Boston Pride, which is also kind of a yes. substory just of the Boston Pride overall. But yes, they get goaltender of the year and rookie of the year, Kareen Schroeder. She only played one year in Boston and is now going to Montreal. She talked about how being, um, you know, closer to home and her family not having to fly on multiple flights to come and watch her was a huge thing. And then you also have uh, Teresa Schwabstahl, who played at the University of Vermont. She bested Amanda Pelkey for the scoring title or the scoring record, I should say, at the University of Vermont, also plays for Team Austria. So, yes, they're doing some big things. And that's with the um, that's with the re-signing also of uh, Jade Downey Landry, who was a great center for them last year. And Sophie Betty is in that conversation of players that what can they do on the ice? And Betty was really good last year, but also is a massive yeah. name. So, I mean, I think that there's a lot going on there. And then also Elizabeth Giguer, who has played with Hockey Canada in the rivalry series, also from Boston, goes to Montreal. And yet Boston, in addition to losing players, they've been adding players as well. Yes, and this is another big name coming out of the NCAA, Alina Mueller. She, it, it, at 20-something, is a three-time Olympian. I mean, that's a huge pickup. The next few years of players coming out of the NCAA are really going to give us an understanding of how we look at the landscape of women's pro hockey, because these are Olympians. These are multiple time over NCAA champions. We're seeing with the transfer portal, a lot of players winning one place and then trying to go win a, a championship with the Ohio state uh, seems to be a pretty, <laughs> pretty big draw. I'm thinking of Kayla Barnes, uh, who of course is an Olympian, couldn't quite get it done with Boston college and is now headed to the Ohio state university. So uh, I think it's a really, like I said, I kind of been using this terminology wild, wild west of times, but this is all good. I really do think that it's good. I know some people have uh, allegiances or one operation that they prefer over the other, but I think what you're going to see is some really good hockey and uh, the, the $1.5 million salary cap is enticing players, but it also means some of your middle of the pack um, athletes are having to find ways and make a case for them being grinders on other teams. So the champion Toronto six uh, what are their chances, do you think, given how free agency is going so far for them? That's a really great question, Rachel. And it's something that we broached on Twitter spaces again with the Founding Four podcast. But you have to remember, we talked about this before, the Toronto Six signed Daryl Watts midseason uh, and to a two-year deal. And her second year, she's going to make 150 k which is reported to be, that's U.S. dollars. It's 200 yeah. k Canadian. Um she is the highest paid player as of right now. We see Kennedy Marchment renegotiated her deal with the Connecticut Whale, much deserved, and she tapped out at 130K. So still, Daryl Watts is set to make the most money next season. So what does that, though, as far as that portion of the salary cap, how does that impact what the Toronto Six can do? Because they signed right. that deal before they 
were officially champions and then having to re-sign some players to defend their title. But we do see that they brought back the captain, Cheyenne D'Arcangelo, who was the lone uh, U.S. skater on that Toronto Six team to hoist the cup. And they also brought back Elaine Julie. And I think those are really solid signings. So now we have to just wait and see what they're going to do. We um, have Angelica Rodriguez, who uh, contributes to the Ice Garden and Black Rosie Media, saying that they do expect to have Carly Jackson back. She backstopped Elaine Chuli. So it's really a little bit of a, a wait and see. But I, again, how does the timing of even what the PWHPA is doing or just the timeliness of some of these other signings, how does that impact what Toronto and other teams can do? We haven't even talked about the Buffalo Buttes, who don't have a head coach yet. We haven't talked about the Minnesota Whitecaps, who have been making signings and have re-signed some players, but don't have a coach yet. And, and how does that impact where free agents want to go? Yeah, it's a wide open, as you say, wild, wild west kind of a thing. Are you big picture concerned about competitive balance? You know, you have the salary cap to sort of check that, but how concerned are you about not having too many haves and have nots? That's an interesting question within the context of women's hockey because we've seen the ebbs and flows of that already. And so I think Boston, (laughs) there you go. But Or I should say, and Boston in the CWHL, the Boston Blades. And then when everyone jumped ship uh, from that one season, the Blades won in 20, I guess it would have been 13, 14. And then, uh, or excuse me, uh, 14, 15. And then in 2015, either way, once the NWHL, (laughs) numbers are hard. Once the NWHL came around, we saw the national team players come to the league where they got paid, won that inaugural championship. But then it was the Buffalo Buttes with a goaltender on the cusp of retirement, actually announced her retirement right before the final. Um, and Brianne McLaughlin, um, now Biddle, Brianne McLaughlin Biddle, um, but was able to stun Boston and they didn't get their uh, repeat championship until years later. So it's a little bit of a toss up. I think that Overall, you are going to see big names that might want to cluster together and build super teams a la what we see in the NBA and even now the WNBA is doing that. But I do think that women's hockey is structured a little bit differently, especially at the collegiate level and even the international level where you have, again, Olympians, uh, not the, the, the United States and Canada do not hold a premium on Olympians. They, there are Olympians that play elsewhere and that are really good. You've got Emma Soderberg. We've been talking about. My I'm, fave. <laughs> exactly. Love her. I, 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 you know, I got to pander to the co-host here, <laughs> but I mean, so again, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting question. I just don't know that we have the answer yet, Gil. Fair enough. Well, Erica, thank you so much for stopping by. Erica does our Women's Hockey Spotlight every other week here on the Friday edition of the Locked On NHL podcast. Looking forward to the next one, Erica. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, like you said, look forward to the next one. Who knows what the big splash will be then? We have got more to get to on today's Locked On NHL. The Western Conference Final gets started tonight. Should be a great series. We will preview the Stars and uh, Vegas Golden Knights and a lot more still to come on this episode of the Locked On NHL podcast. So I wanted to thank Erica again and, and Rachel. The whole free agent situation right now remains ongoing. 
Yeah, since we recorded that, there have been more signings, more players switching teams. I think most notably Kaylee Fratkin, who played with the Boston Pride uh, last season, one of the all-time best defenders in NWHL slash PHF history. She's been with the league since jump, uh, been defender of the year twice, is now a metropolitan riveter. So that team continuing to get stacked. And man, this upcoming PHF season is going to be great. No question about it. And uh, looking forward to seeing how, you know, the free agency continues to play out. So the Eastern Conference Finals certainly got off to uh, a dramatic start. But tonight, 8.30 Eastern time, the Western Conference Final, Dallas and Vegas game one uh, in uh, is in Vegas. Your thoughts on this series? Yeah, this is going to be a good one because I think that if you looked at the previous series, the Golden Knights, obviously, to defeat a team like the Edmonton Oilers with that kind of offensive firepower, had to really button up defensively, plus have their core step up and score the goals necessary. And that's what they did, right? And I feel like Jack Eichel is having a, a tremendous playoffs right now amongst many others on that team. But to see him thrive in the playoffs is what we've been waiting for all this time in his career. And so it's so great to see that. But then you looked at the other series where the Stars uh, defeated the Kraken in seven games. That series was much more open in mm -hmm. terms of offense, a lot more goals scored overall. And so it, it feels like Vegas is primed to win this one because they know what it takes to shut down a team offensively. Plus, when you have Jason Robertson on, on Dallas, you know, one of their key players is not scoring at the level that he did in the regular season. This just feels like Vegas just on to the next one in a lot of ways. It is. The, the one area that I'd be concerned about if I were the Vegas Golden Knights is special teams, because over the course of the regular season, the power play and penalty kill <clears throat> for the Dallas Stars was top five, fifth in the league on power play, third on the PK, whereas Vegas was more middle of the pack, 18th on the power play, 19th on the penalty kill. Dallas has got to take advantage of that differential in the playoffs and make special teams work for them if they want to win this series. Yeah, it's interesting. If you look at their head-to-head -head in the regular season, Dallas won all three of those games in yeah. completely different fashions. Um, you know, there was a shutout, a shootout, and, and an overtime game. So, it's uh, I do think anything can happen because it is the playoffs. And as we have been shown so far this year, especially uh, stranger things have happened. And the Florida Panthers are a prime example of that. Uh, so I would really look for Dallas to try and take advantage of those opportunities, capitalize on any mistakes that Vegas has and Vegas just trying to shut things down. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it just becomes a question of which side and which style prevails. You know, to me, looking at, you know, sentimenta sentimentality, 
part of me is pulling for Joel Pavelski to get that elusive Stanley Cup. Yeah, I know. It's tough, man. You look at some of these old timers who are um, not that old in reality, but in hockey years, and you do <laughs> you do want to root for them to get that championship uh, before they retire. And uh, it's tough not to make that ar- argument. And Jake Ottinger is, is a goaltender that you want to pull for as well, just ter- turning in great performance after great performance and you know to see him thrive in the playoffs has been a a lot of fun as well it has and you know with Pavelski I go back he he was on so many really good San Jose Sharks teams that did everything Uh, but win the Stanley Cup and you know he's what 39 now it's not like he's going to get a many more chances at this so you know to me that's a sort of a compelling storyline to watch for. How about Vegas? Is there a player that you sort of focus on on Vegas that gives you a, a little more incentive to root for them? Um, I mean, I mentioned Jack Eichel, and I think that for me has been the best thing about watching Vegas in these playoffs is, you know, we we've just been waiting so long with all of his time in Buffalo and then the injury and the surgery. And um, just, this is the Jack Eichel that we've been promised this whole time. And I'm just so happy for him (laughs) that he's finally able to experience this. Oh no, absolutely. How about Aiden Hill? I mean, talk about somebody who, you know, seemingly came from nowhere to to be in a position to lead a team to the conference final. I mean, that's a pretty nice story as well. Yeah, I think so as well. And especially given, you know, his backstory and um, the fact that Vegas goaltending was a question mark going into this season in terms of could it sustain them through this year with all the injuries they've had to goalies and and Aiden Hill has really stepped up uh, as necessary and so it's going to be a tough battle between the two goaltenders in this season. Should be a great series. I I can't see it going less than six but uh, again we'll see. Uh, I mean look (laughs) <laughs> the Eastern Conference has played two games already in one game. So uh, we'll see. I don't know if we'll see any games quite as long as as, as uh, Thursday nights, but should be a very entertaining series. And I'm looking forward to it. Wanted to get some more thoughts from you about the whole uh, Arizona Coyote situation with the vote going the way it did. Yeah, I mean, obviously, for the most detailed, up-to-date information, tune into Locked On Coyotes. Uh, They are covering this story in detail every day as things develop. But, uh, you know, as far as my perspective, I I was not surprised by the outcome, just given how local politics sometimes work and, and why the vote happened the way it did. Um, I certainly hope for the fans in that area that they can come to a solution and and one of the backup options comes to fruition. Um, Certainly been interesting in social media tracking it with uh, Clayton Keller's dad supposedly getting hacked. I'm air quoting that for those people listening and not watching, but uh, that's dubious at best, I would say. Uh, But, you know, claiming that, Clayton Keller would not report to play at uh, Mullet Arena 
in this um, upcoming season. The team and the league have said in no uncertain terms that they will be playing at Mullet Arena this upcoming season. I don't know. I, I have doubts in, in everything that is said. You have to. About I mean, this. The only thing we know is that Gary Bettman wants to keep this team in Arizona. That That is the hill he has decided to fight, <clears throat> excuse me, and die on. And it's almost like they're going to bury Gary Bettman somewhere. Wherever the Coyotes end up playing, that's where they're going to lay him to rest because that has been, <clears throat> excuse me, his mission as NHL commissioner is to make the Arizona Coyotes work. I would not be surprised or at least have a, a plaque somewhere in the somewhere, Arizona yes, desert. Yes. Or, or maybe it has to be named Gary Bettman Arena, you know? I mean, <laughs> oh, don't don't give them any ideas, Gil. <laughs> no, I know. Uh, if you'll corporately sponsor it, I'm sure they do it. But uh, anyway, yeah. So Western Conference, Eastern Conference, we have a great playoff schedule this weekend. Rachel, thank you so much. Always great to do the Friday show with you. And of course, Erica Ayala, who did our women's hockey spotlight. I will be back Monday interviewing three of our hosts, discussing the playoffs and also the coyote situation. So make sure you join us for that. Uh, Want to thank everybody again for making locked on NHL your first listen every day. Have a great weekend, everybody. And thanks for listening to the locked on NHL podcast.